Jordan Peele's Nope is one of those super, super anticipated movies. He's one of the great filmmakers working right now. And the movie is packed with meaning and layers and messages, and it's entertaining. And we're talking about it today with his editor from the inside out. I'm George Edelman, host of the No Film School podcast. And my guest today is Nicholas Monsoor, editor of Nope, among other things. Nick and I go way, way, way back. And it was great to catch up again in general. But specifically today, just to talk about Nope, about editing and about putting movies together. Because we're both from Los Angeles and we went to school together and we have sort of a similar background in terms of being analytical about art. It was fun to talk to somebody like that about putting this movie together because this is a movie that has tons of depth. It's all there for people to look at, interpret, reflect back, and examine. And Nick really goes through with me how he worked with Jordan Peele throughout the process, from the very first ideas all the way to the final cut on that very thing the meaning, the story, the perspective, and the cinematic language, which is always a tricky term, right, behind this movie. So here we go. Nick Monsoor on Nope. I, I saw the movie. <laughs> so, and the you. movie's great. And there's so much to talk about. And I know you don't have a ton of time. But... I'm actually glad because I know you. We go back a little bit. I know where you come from. <laughs> and right. the the movie is so this is one of these things that's unique about the Jordan Peele movies and about this one is it has layers and it has meaning and it has symbols and it has allegory and it has stuff going on. And that's just something that's a treat to see in a movie, mm. in a feature film released at this scale. And so I guess what I want to start with is just talking about Nope before we talk about anything else, really. How do you guys discuss creating meaning or like leading audiences to places where they draw their own conclusions or where you kind of want them to see one specific thing? Because there's all kinds of interpretations out there, right? Right. And it's so much that happens in the edit and the juxtaposition of things, right? Yeah, totally. And that what you're responding to is very much what I respond to when Jordan first tells me an idea or I read a script is like, I, I'm I'm astounded how much he layers in to a script, even at the earliest phase and how it seems to kind of organically come out of the characters and the plot and the setting rather than all being, you know, uh, references like peppered mm. in or something. So to a large extent, I mean, we, we definitely talk about it because I think what, we we both think that way or, you know, in different ways, but it's the commonality is that we're kind of watching on multiple levels a lot of things. And I think he knows his audience likes to do that, too. Do, do you think a lot of audiences like to do that and that they just aren't given the opportunity? <laughs> I, I do. I've always felt that. I mean, that. The the trick is you don't just have like a kind of neutral marketplace where every movie is just a, you know, white cover with a title on it. And you um, 
go by a sort of central review committee tells you which ones are the best. Like, it, you know, so it doesn't always work out, but I don't think it's usually because a movie is too thematically or conceptually demanding that people don't respond to it. I think it's it's the art of balancing it with story and characters and other stuff. Yeah, it's entertaining still, right? I, I mean, I know I'm throwing too much at you already, but no, like, no. <laughs> to, to balance the movie that is like big tentpole, IMAX, all that, and like compelling story, and like we're trying to say something, like can you just, why don't we start again like with just initial conversations you and he have about what this is going to be, how it's going to come together. And like yeah. that balance. Well, the part of part of the trick of keeping the meaning in this sounds sort of cagey without me trying to be, but is honestly not to break the bubble while we're working on it, to mm. not tear it apart too much while we're working on it. But so you do. I do think that's why Jordan likes finding collaborators that he works with repeatedly, because you kind of start to there is a little bit of a telepathy thing or what I pull out of the script, we'll talk about it, but then we kind of operate more from looking at the material and in a really kind of, I think the language we use the whole time is about the audience experience. And is this fun? Is this exciting? Is is this scary? Is this who who they're relating to? Which characters they're relating to in a scene and, and why? But in terms of breaking down all the other layers, that'll usually be after we kind of settle on an on a scene and find a shape. Then we'll be like, oh my God, that's great because this, 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 this. But it's hard to I work see. from the inside out like that because yeah. if you're too concerned with the... Now, that said, while I'm cutting silently in my head, I'm definitely looking at a detail in the frame or a way a character reacts to something and thinking, oh, that's an interesting reaction, you know, to seeing something because it's not obvious and you have to think about why. And to me, why is because actually it's scary, even though it doesn't appear to be scary. Why is it scary? Well, that relates to the theme of, you know. So anyway, I think that I'm always thinking that way in my head and maybe Jordan is too. I just think we just kind of have to like protect the thing and not tear it to shreds. So you both, you, you read it and you sort of think, Oh, I think I see what he's doing with all this. There's a lot here. And then you, you get to the cut and you start putting it together. And in your head, you're like, I think I'm, I see little special things happening here, but we're not going to talk about it until we see it laid down because we don't want to distract from telling a good story. Is that kind of the, I think that's, that's pretty close. I mean, look, it's a long process. It's a year. So there's ups and downs. There's emotional highs and lows where you're like, right. what are we doing? Why are we doing this? And then you go. But Jordan does have a confidence from his sort of the initial seed idea that he's always got. And the crazy, absurdly for Jordan Peele, like and other people have mentioned this too, he'll actually take the time before the script while he's still writing it to like pitch it. And he'll tell me the whole thing, beginning to end, scene by scene. Often that'll change then when I read a draft. I'll be like, oh, I see he changed that to that. But I, you get to kind of start to... He's completely open book with his process. Fascinating. Which it, I think he can do because you still can't figure out how he did it. Even though he's telling you everything he's thinking about, even though you see the changes from draft to draft, even though he's asking your opinion, people's opinions, and taking the advice, there's still a part that comes out once it goes through him that you're like, I don't know where he thought of that. And it's perfect. Like that, I now, I now I understand. So, you know. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When when you get those drafts, is there a part of you that starts thinking about things like from an editor's perspective? And can you talk to us about how you think of a script as an editor? Like, what does an editor think like when you read a script? Like, what is it? What what occurs to you? Do you start thinking about because you don't know what footage you don't know? You know, there's there's so much not there, and you're but in a way, the fact that he brings you in early is so cool because you have a relationship to the evolution of the piece from from idea to to end and definitely in terms of getting the script uh, and my first reactions to it or how I start to think about how we're going to edit it. I think there's, you know, always trying to keep alive the kind of intuitive reaction to the stuff and then also getting really analytical about it. And that's the, the weird personality type. I think you sort of have to have is a little bit of right brain, left brain in equal measure. Analytical and- about, specifics to cut or analytical yes, about things because, like meaning and things like that? Well, I know from Jordan that he has, a, like I said, a, he always has this core to the characters and to the story and to the themes, but the details will continue to evolve through pre-production, production, and the edit. I mean, we'll be cha- tweaking dialogue that is off screen. will be the whole way. We'll be changing slight order of shots and scenes the whole way. He'll be changing the look of some of the VFX the whole way. So you never quite have a solid object, but you have this solid idea of the characters, the story, and the concepts. And because I know that he was even pushing that even further on this one, of building this whole world to shoot in. I mean, they built the ranch. They built the amusement park. They built... It's all geographically accurate. Like, you can't... It's in Agua you know, Dulce, I assume? Yeah, it's, I've been it's out It's in there. Agua Dulce. <laughs> yeah. And, but, li, li, like, they are next to each other. The how yeah. the ranch, and the, it's all that valley for real, which gave them the opportunity to explore it. And then the same with in every room. There's a depth of all the props in there that the actors know what they all are and can think about it or talk about it and go into it. So there's this whole world they're exploring there. So I knew it was going to be loose. So that meant that I knew the footage, like you said, that I get in is not going to necessarily reflect what's in the script. And especially because Jordan has a shorthand with these actors and they'll they'll take things in a new direction. Hoyte is always looking as a DP. It was an amazing experience because he's always looking for something he's never seen before. So that's hard to put into a storyboard or previs, but when you have when he's there and they're breaking down what the shots are actually going to be, it changes. So I'll get something in. Often the maybe the script supervisor <laughs> didn't necessarily pick up on what that was either. So I'll often get something in while I'll be like, what's this? I have no <laughs> clue. I know I can ask for the answer, and I will, but often first I'll try and log what I intuitively think it is and try in something in relationship with it. to what else you got and to what the script is and all of that. Yeah. Exactly. I'll get something just labeled X that's a landscape shot. And I'll say, well, they could have meant that for any one of these 
places, but I'm also going to yeah. store it in a place where I know where it is and when it feels like I need it. And we were doing that a ton with like, even with the VFX plates, things that weren't even necessarily shot in relation to a scene became part of this world that we got to cut to. So because of that, you still have to be able to set goals for yourself. And because you get the footage out of order, you still have to know how to approach a scene for the first time. And if you don't really, so there's things that I've learned from other editors and just from my own process, but breaking down the script, reading, <laughs> I would read through the script a couple different ways. I would break down the script in page count, in scene count, and then plotting out kind of like, I I'd do it on paper, which is stupid because I'm sure there's programs that do this, but <laughs> it's sort of the tactile way I've learned to do it. But, you know, I'll break out where, where a character appears, sort of different quality scenes, like here's where these characters yeah. meet, here's where an incident happened, you know. And then I can kind of, and usually the page count is a better way to break that down. Because the other way that a lot of editors work is scene cards. Yeah. And that does work, but the scene numbers don't correspond to where they fall in the structure necessarily. Are you sort of looking for, I had thought images from the movie pop in my head as you described that. Like I thought mm -hmm. about the way I was really struck by Emerald's arrival and the way she looks from the perspective of OJ in that first scene when he's calling to her and the way mm -hmm. OJ looks from the perspective of Emerald at the very end of the movie. Like, and I yeah. thought about these as like these visual bookends that were kind of like perfect. But I think that there's probably stuff like that all throughout the movie that like deep in scenes, but like that you're talking about, like you're trying to map from the beginning who's who in relationship to us and each other. So you can have something to hang on each as you go like this is important for emerald because in this scene we need to you know that kind of thing yeah i don't know how that dis the discovery between for hoita and for jordan was i don't know how much they spelled it out that you like you know what we're gonna really sure lock this yeah. the way we shoot this into points of views because blah blah or if they just knew they needed to do it that way someone feels like the edit Though, because it's the what comes before is the person looking, and then what comes after is that shot. So it feels right. like we're put in their perspective. However, they well, shot you, it. you, we all know from. I mean, I think experimental films have led the way in terms of figuring out how this stuff works. Where does the language break? Like where? Yeah, you can't just stay in a POV the whole time because then you lose the sense of who it is watching. And so, yeah, mm -hmm. there is a balance you have to find in the edit. But they did really shoot that way. They weren't getting extraneous perspectives mm. a ton unless there was a point, unless it really said something as a frame in and of itself. There's a massive wide in that commercial scene that shows the whole thing with mm -hmm. the green square of the green screen behind uh, behind Daniel. And that's very intentional, you know, and there's a reason it's doing everything it's doing. It isn't just cut. I mean, Jordan literally, you know, he was like, <laughs> He was warning me as he was shooting. He was like, look, we shot, let's do this, but I'm kind of just like thinking, forget coverage. Like, let's just <laughs> oh, do no. this. Yeah. Yeah. He didn't go. That sounds more extreme than what they but did. But it was shot I mean, to edit a certain way is what you're saying. Like it was shot to, to mean a certain thing to come to unfold a certain way. Close. It was shot. <laughs> I think <laughs> it was it was still the whole scene would run from all these angles. So the edit points weren't necessarily figured out. 
but the perspectives of the I viewer see. were very intentional. So that I commercial see. scene was always thought you got to feel like you're Daniel up there and feel that terror and then figure out the time when it makes sense to put him on the stage and then we're in their point of view and et cetera. So, and then when we're looking at Kiki and um, we're not in her point of view yet, there is no shot that they shot of her looking back at OJ. Yeah, in there. right. Because that okay. wouldn't have made sense emotionally. It's not her point I think. of view yet. Right. Exactly. Yeah. There's yeah. a handoff that happens at different points in the movie where it becomes mm. both of them kind of equal and then by the end really has flipped. Is that the kind of conversation you guys have? That's like, when is it, whose perspective are we in here? And why does it matter? For sure. I think um, it can be really dazzling once you start getting into, especially individual effects scenes or really amazing locations or the performances are all so good. You don't know where to land. And I'll often, I ha I'll recenter myself by thinking, hold on. <laughs> Who's, you go back to the notepad that you wrote on sometimes? Oh, like absolutely. There? But I'll yeah. also look at it freshly and try and think like, well, wait, why Why don't I, why am I not connecting either emotionally or why is this not as scary or why is this not as, not as exciting? And it's often because you've lost the sense of whose story you're in mm. rather, and you're you've just gone kind of third person with it. And the inclination, I think, often, and, and it works in other movies, you know, you set up a language specific to each film, kind of. It's like half new, half everything else the audience is coming loaded with, so. Like Jaws feels like it's it's in it's in our language when we're watching this movie, for example, or plenty of others. Totally. Yeah. And we did talk about that, especially when it yeah. comes time to thinking about additional photography. It's like, okay, what do we wish we had thought of or uh, what has emerged as, you know, feeling light or whatever and we we talked about the idea of the kind of jaws angle of mm -hmm. the underwater or whatever that would be and again it was um i think that's where the theme you have to be connected to the themes the whole time because jaws isn't about looking at things jaws mm -hmm. isn't about isn't about capturing an image and our obsession with images and becoming part of a spectacle if anything it, you know it's sort of like a pure demonic kind mm -hmm. of animal mm -hmm. there is an overlap but there's a part of the themes that does not overlap that i think would make that kind of shot being used a lot not make sense and it would yes so but i don't know how much we talked about it as much as bantered about it and just like what about this nah, i don't know you know but we didn't like yeah. well here's why here's my five reasons why like there has to be a kind of intuitive part of it. And then when you stop, you get a whole cut together, you go home, you come in the next day, you watch the whole thing and you're like, oh, okay. And then you have maybe a more theoretical conversation, but you, can't, you know, you have to kind when of work in phases. There's something you just talked about briefly in there about spectacle and becoming a part of it that is like really a big part of what I want to talk about with the movie. So I'll, I'll come back to it in a second. <laughs> but before we get into that kind of thing, you talked about creating a language and how it's an original language in some ways. Can you tell us, for people who are new to editing or 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 don't understand necessarily, like what that means? Conceptually, yeah. it sounds like something, but but like, what does it mean <laughs> to say at the beginning of a process with your director and, and stuff and be like, what's our language going to be? We're creating something new. It's built on things from the past, but like, because you, you, you referenced this idea that like sometimes third person the whole way works, but not right. here. 
Like, can you talk about that? Like, like, and what it means? I can try. I mean, I've tried to break <laughs> this to down into ways. Yeah. No, no, but I mean, even for yourself, it's useful to try and articulate. And I, I keep coming back to this idea of like the intuitive and the analytical, like you, ha you have to be working both ways. So the intuitive side that is you have to watch things you actually like a lot. You can't you can't just be like, yeah, I, my favorite movie is this, but I watched it 15 years ago because the thing that you will go in loaded up intuitively ah. with it, for me, different people work differently. Yeah. I'm a sponge. So yeah. I need to make sure that I've like cultivated a good like garden in my head of, you know, and I've I've been I, I keep a thread alive of the things that, you know, I want to see this kind of stuff. I really love not because you're copying it, but just because there's an intuitive response you have when watching an edit of it working or not. Mm -hmm. And I think that can get manipulated by playing video games and watching cutscenes and watching reality TV and these completely different languages that don't apply to what you're trying to do necessarily in your project. So anyway, that's part of it. And then the other part I think is, is maybe a little more analytical where, well, okay. So then there's, there's like a marriage between the two, which is, you have taste, you know, and you can either you have to you have to negotiate with a filmmaker because as an editor, you, I think of myself as being there to help them realize their mm. vision. I may have really strong opinions about yeah. I mean, you have to, I think, you know, but then you have to, like, deal with it. <laughs> right, 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 right. Because it's, it's not, not going to. Yeah. It do, wouldn't it wouldn't make sense and you wouldn't be able to keep doing it if you really like doing it. If you just fought for only what you thought was right and and it wasn't a conversation and a support role, really. I mean, that said, a lot of directors then get to say, like, no, no, I want you. I want that. And and that becomes part of helping them. If you're like if they're like, I want you to figure this out and tell me what you think works, then great. I'm so happy to do that. So for me, I, I think most projects, especially when people are talking about adjectives like cinematic or mm -hmm. elevated or, you know, <laughs> masterful or these things that when you have these expectations for something to be high art as well as entertaining or, you know, some combination of the two, I think often that comes from something I, for me in terms of editing what that translates to is not forcing the footage to be something that it isn't unless uh, yeah. that's a very intentional move that you're doing so there's a there are you know and this is something you do get through studying and reading at least i do is you know learning like oh, okay like there are there are kind of shifts in film history and that that now have trickled into all of our consciousness where the editing was really supposed to call attention to itself. And that's mm -hmm. part of the, the filming, Evolution. you know, the, 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 and the new wave sort of mm -hmm. language of, mm -hmm. of really like montage and, and, and the editing being really calling attention to itself. And that's great. But often it was shot with that intention too. It mm -hmm. was like shot just wild knowing that I'm going to figure this out, editing it. If you try and graft that approach onto something that was shot very intentionally, could be a mess. Usually, <laughs> that ends up making it feel like almost a parody of something. Or, <laughs> and so anyway, I might come loaded up with all sorts of ideas of what the language is going to be, but as soon as I start to see the footage, I try to have a blank <laughs> response to. It. I try to forget those conversations when I'm first looking at the material of a scene because I'm like, this is. This is 
this is a slow, sad scene. Like, this is an emotional scene. It may have been made me laugh in the script, but not now. So yeah. if I try and make this scene make me laugh the way it did in the script, I'm probably missing out on all the stuff they discussed. I'm missing out on all the stuff the actor brought. I'm missing out on the light, why they lit it that way. All those things, I think you only get into these more elevated <laughs> levels, I mm. think, if you're respecting that stuff and bringing it together. Again, unless the intent is to put it in kind of quotes or, Call you know, attention. make it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, anyway. you're reminding me of a Walter Murch thing, which he talked about. I think he's written about, but we interviewed him a while ago and he said he, he saw it like they bring the ingredients that they found and you're cooking it. And the mm. ingredients kind of dictate. And I feel like it's like, that's your flow kind of like, I can't, I don't want to come in with my old idea for the recipe. And then they have these different ingredients that I didn't expect. And then I make something that is inedible or whatever. Like you're, totally. kind, of, well, you're kind of responding to what came back. He's the master of uh, figuring out the perfect metaphors for talking about all of this stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I, I he mean, talks about asterisk. timing. Right. <laughs> yeah. You talked about timing too, though. Like how you know when you know, the, the cut's long enough or short enough or when it's time, you go by feel? Is that how you do it? Or you guys talk about, like, holding, like, do you have a, a system? Well, luckily, it goes through phases because, you know, like, live editing it, you would have one, <laughs> one yeah. impulse. So you do it kind of often. I, I try to do a raw kind of intuitive, not not criticizing it too harshly. But internalizing the things I've thought about, like I've broke, I've read the script a number of times and already, and I've broken it down already. That stuff kind of lives in the back of your head. So then I get the footage and I'm like, okay, well I kind of, I don't even have to think about it. I know this is about two thirds. This is at right after another scene that was really exciting. And now some air has been let out. So that's probably right. what's going on here. Yeah. I don't even have to think about it because I've just done that homework obsessively for a few weeks. So it's just in yeah. my head. So you do that raw thing. And then I, I, you're, you're building up bigger and bigger pieces and you have to know it. You have to know you're going to do a ton of work that is probably going to go in the bin <laughs> because again, as a supporter of the filmmaker, I'm trying to give them whatever tool they like to get from an editor to finish the shooting the movie. So some people don't watch cuts when they're shooting. Right. Jordan really loves as basically anything. Show him wow. as much as you want, all of it. So you're kind of racing to get stuff together so he can take a look and see where things are going. Yes and no. Sometimes he will specific. I'll always ask him, basically. We'll touch base every day, pretty much. And I'll say, like, anything from today that he'll run me through like, oh, this didn't go quite how I wanted. See what you can do with that, whatever. And then I'll say, you know, okay, great. Is any of that like stuff you're dying to look at? Because I could imagine since you shot how freaked out Emerald was after seeing it for the first time today and tomorrow you're shooting her the next day. It didn't quite work like that. I'm, right, I'm sure. simplifying because yeah. it was on film. So there was a day and a half delay on everything. Right. But I could point out that like, you know, maybe you want to see this because of that. Or maybe he'll say, you know what? I want to see this. And I won't have thought of it. So anyway, then I will try and get him something really quick. But otherwise, he tends to like to see as much as I can bring to it as I think makes sense. So I'll 
often take a little bit longer with Jordan to send him something with a pretty thought out sound and music idea as well. If it's a big enough piece, if it's just a sliver that usually doesn't make any sense. And he can start to kind of see what's working or not or what he might want to totally. And it doesn't seem to cloud him. Other people don't like that because Mm. then they're like, wait, no, why did you put like now I've been thinking about it the wrong way, you know, but he seems to hold on to this core thing and you can't really knock him off course. So Mm. he just likes to start thinking about that stuff early. And he's like, and gives him a sense. I think he's much, I think he likes being able to judge thinking. He's always thinking about the final product, I guess. So anyway, um, those pieces will become bigger and bigger. And as soon as you watch it in bigger and bigger segments, you go, oh, well, obviously I was completely wrong about music being there. That's stupid. Mm. Or obviously that's way too slow now, or that's that went by way too fast and had no impact, you know? So mm. it's all, it's, and then I just, you, in the, in my mind, there's always that time. I'm always working towards when, when are we going to have a full thing to watch? And watch that because as soon as you, as I know from experience now, which I didn't really know starting with a feature, part of what a feature does is it sets its own clock for you. Mm. You know, I think it's part of what trailers and all the stuff at the beginning of the movie do is like you brainwashes you from the outside world. And then, and then a, a film starts to tell you from the first frame, this is the rhythm, this is the tempo, this is the, and as soon, and it's only once you stop and go back and watch it from the beginning that you really understand the film's rhythm, it's I think. speaking to you, you on try and terms. pregame it as much as you can. Yeah, but, you know. yeah. So speaking of that, there's so much intentionality in this movie. Like there's no accidents. It feels like maybe there were some, I don't know, but it feels like there, whatever accidents happened were carved in a way to mean something. You talked about spectacle and people becoming a part of spectacle. This movie feels like it's in a lot of ways about entertainment industry and what happens when cameras turn on, how people mm-hmm. change, what fame does, how mm-hmm. deep at all stages, how deep do you guys go, you and Jordan and anyone else, in talking about what things mean? Because to me, like the way I think, I come out of the movie and I'm like, well, there's like five ways you could see it, but what it seems like it was to me was, and I and I have a narrative that I feel like it was, which isn't just about aliens coming. It's about other things. And I'm very curious because, you know, we have plenty of stories we put up about like, what did the ending of Nope mean? You know, that's one of the biggest like Googled things, right? Like, it's just like everybody's mm-hmm. Googling that. They come out of the movie. I'm tell- I-, I work for a website. Every Sunday morning, I see the numbers spike. Like people are seeing the movie, asking the question. So how much do you guys talk about that? Well, I think Jordan, and you'd have to ask him, but I try and glean how a director likes to work so that I'm, you know, not making their process harder. I think what he likes to do is kind of curate these discussions around him while he's working on it. And then Mm. at some point he'll open it up. That might be kind of the logic behind why he sort of pitches it is that he sort of sets the tone of the conversation. He already starts to get into what things mean and what the tone of the movie is. So because he knows probably from experience, the whole rest of the shoot, like just like people do after they see the movie done, as soon as people read it, see a storyboard, see a scene shot, they're all talking about what does that mean? Why did it like, oh, my God, that's so cool. Because and if he just lets all that in, I think that probably would drive anyone insane. So I think he's. 
he's he's always open to the conversation, but I try to be aware how much I'm just dumping my own interpretation onto him out of pure excitement or wanting to do a better job or whatever, because I think there is a value in people bringing their own. I think part of what makes the movie feel hopefully more real, alive, kind of vibrant is that people really are bringing their own relationships to these themes and ideas. And he's not necessarily whipping them all into line there. Yes. There's a there's a there's a sort of ecology of worldviews in there. Yeah, that aren't all it, it, totally the same. It feels like there's a lot of ways you could take it. And I read some people and even some people on our staff were like, I felt like it was this, this and this. And it's like, it's fascinating how we're projecting our yeah. own kind of thoughts about the world onto something almost like it's a blank slate. Like it's a blank screen or whatever, but it's not. It's giving us enough input to allow us to take it in. And then we kind of reconfigure those pieces to tell mm-hmm. our story. It's fascinating though, that that you guys can can do that. For sure. But I mean, I think there are some things that where he does make sure we're that we're aware of certain things, all everybody working on it. And him him and the producer also, Ian Cooper, like they they really do, they cultivate a kind of discussion for us all to be having as well. And I think a big part of that obviously is the history of black cinema, which some people may be aware of, other people may not. We all, you know, have different things. And what that that's a big part of what this whole movie means is its relation. Obviously, it's in the plot yeah. and the character background of like, um, so I'm a nerd. So I want to talk about, I want to get into, I'm like, oh, yeah, like in Killer of Sheep and like in, uh, yeah. you know, and in actually Charles Burnett made a short film called The Horse. And you should look at that, Jordan, because and it's like, he has his own thing, but we will, as long as we're kind of talking around the same ideas, but hopefully that's why I feel like that's what's so interesting about how open-ended he leaves things, how much room for discussion. I always think of him kind of like a good teacher in a way. Mm. Like uh, That sounds, he would hate that probably, but I... <laughs> The way a good teacher can give you a starting point and then conversation swirls. Yeah. They give you, they narrow down a world of questions for you to be asking rather than giving you all the answers to those questions also, or leaving it totally open-ended. It's like a, you know, so I, I think about it that way in that is this ambiguity, the right ambiguity, because what it makes you think about is what we want you to be thinking about rather than, does it totally subvert the meaning of something else that happens in the movie? So I bring that up in reference to kind of the history of African-American cinema and black cinema around the world, just because I think what's so cool is that like, I think what's so interesting about the projects that he's developed is it's the full range of human subjectivity, (laughs) like in his characters, it isn't, and yet it, it doesn't ignore the history of those characters and of black people in the United States. It's completely acknowledged though. Those characters are fully aware, you know, or at least have their own awareness of the whole history of American culture, you know, and are choosing to live their own way. You know, they, they are, they're in the same world as we are in in so many right. ways. It isn't right. like a pure fantasy. So right, it's not scrubbed um, of the actual history. What you're saying is sometimes exactly. you'll see, yeah, you'll see people of diverse 
representation, but they're there in like Captain America in a context where you're just kind of like, uh, how, why? Or like, you know, like where's the history, but like, yeah, not to knock that specifically, but just sometimes you see it. It's like, it's not, it's not answering for or related to our reality. It seems like there is a lot of the generic character who could be whatever race rather than (laughs) bringing a specificity. But also then the flip side of that is not making it only about that because, again, I don't want to speak for Jordan, but one thing that excites me and I think is behind sort of what he's doing is that, again, not to knock that because I think it's really important to make films, films specifically about race relations. It's very interesting, but... He feels, I, I, or I think it's interesting to try and look at ways to tell stories that, all, in in every genre, with all the all the ways people act and types of characters, that acknowledges that, but isn't only about that. So that that seems to be the the zone that. Um, yeah, you're bringing up something know. amazing though about it that it could be about white people. And it would be a different story and there would be different characters. But this is about black people in this situation. And that's informs this story and these characters. Like, and it's not about that, but it is. I love that. Well, it's a great point. Yeah. And I think also, I mean, that and again, I don't I don't know if we talked about it, but it totally we did a little bit, but not when he was deciding, sort of after the fact. But you know, like the Latinx fries geek yeah. squad guy. Who, who working in the deep valley, like totally tracks 100% from my experience growing up in Los Angeles it, and the, the sort of punk 90s retro shit he's into and <laughs> yeah. a, totally a character that feels very authentic to me, a bit heightened, obviously, because it's a blockbuster movie and these are kind of mythological characters in a way also. Yep. But then, and, to, and, and the, you know, Steven Yeun character and what is it? What does that mean to be yes. on a sitcom? <laughs> yes. On a sitcom as where you're playing an adopted Korean American kid and they, and they've also adopted a chimpanzee like <laughs> and your parents are astronauts and anyway it's 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 sort of fed into this larger than life world with acknowledgments to real the real social situations. People find themselves in not just white people. <laughs> yeah, it's just when you when you recognize it in that context, you're like, this is a long way from you know 20 years ago blockbusters. <laughs> like it right. really is. It's not even something we could have like. There was nothing like it. Basically, no. Well, I think Jordan and a few other filmmakers have really had to lead the industry to it. Mm-hmm. They've had to show the people with all the money to invest that there is a giant audience for this. Um, yeah. The audience that exists is not just the one that they knew about already, right? Right. <laughs> it's that totally. plus there's others, and it's, yeah. they're not just willing to see one kind of thing. Yeah, it's an it's it's you have to lead the horse to water. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, which so I I hope that all of that acknowledgement, understanding, and intelligence that Jordan brings to it is like I hope that is what makes these movies not just fully blank like bring whatever you want to them but they really focus your mind on certain ambiguities and certain ambivalences which he rightfully i think thinks are sort of underrepresented in a pop culture context 
which you know, yeah. that's where he's working right now. Maybe he'll make a tiny weird art film at some point that he doesn't expect to be a global I, yeah. phenomenon. I don't know. Well, I really appreciate your time. It was fun to catch up and uh, yeah, fun to likewise. talk about. It's a great movie. Thank you. We'll have you back on the next thing sometime soon. Cool. That'd be awesome. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thanks so much, Nick, for coming on the podcast. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Nope is the kind of movie that didn't exist in so many ways for so long. It's great that it's in the world. It's great that there are movies like this being made that are about different kinds of perspectives, but also that are about things, like stuff beneath things, like layers of ideas and meaning that we can interpret and think about and reflect on. That is just a powerful tool that movies have. And I've said it so many times, but I love seeing movies in the marketplace that reflect someone's perspective, someone's ideas about the world, and hold true to that. At the same time, it's a super entertaining summer tentpole movie. So what's not to like? Anyway, go see Nope. Head over to nopefilmschool.com. You can read all about filmmaking, tech, news, and education there. You can sign up for our newsletter and get a free ebook on screenwriting in the process. Plus, we'll send you all kinds of cool deals that come our way from partners and sponsors as well. Be sure to like, rate, and subscribe to the podcast. Send us questions at editor at nofilmschool.com. We answer them on our weekly show, which comes out Thursdays, and we love hearing from you. Thanks so much for listening. Mm-hmm.